The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to You Are Not Alone, How to Rise Above Life's Challenges with best-selling author, speaker, and motivational coach, April Joy Ford. April has faced adversity in her life, such as childhood sexual abuse and becoming a widow and single parent at 32. Through all of her trauma, she's gone from tragedy to triumph, and she'll help you do the same. Get empowered by taking a holistic approach. Now, here is your host, April Joy Ford. Welcome, I'm April Joy Ford, the voice of You're Not Alone, How to Rise Above Life's Challenges. Welcome to another week here on You're Not Alone. And I do, as always, each and every week, want to say hello to all of our loyal listeners out there globally. Or if you're new with us listening this week, welcome, welcome, welcome. Nice to have you. Just to name a few regions out there, of course, in the United States, we also have United Kingdom, Cambodia, Italy, India, Australia, Denmark, Turkey. China, Egypt, Canada, just to name a few. Welcome. I know you guys tune in each and every week seeking answers and solutions to your situations and setbacks, and that's what we're here for. So I'm not going to go through my normal introduction today. As you guys could probably notice, uh, my voice is a little raspy or maybe a little... um, you know, a little shaky and we have, I'm going to share with you guys why it's a little bit more pressing than my normal intro here. Um, Coming back from traveling three days ago, I not only recovering from the actual travel, but I was in the presence of a miracle. So I don't know if you guys believe in miracles out there, but I wanted to share my miracle with you guys that took 20 years to Um, basically manifest or come true. And I'm not going to talk about it today in this show because I don't want to, you know, take away from our guests today and a topic or today uh, we're going to be talking about today. But after the show, I want you guys to go to my personal Facebook page. It's not on the Joys of Yeah fan page. I don't think so just yet. If you go to my personal page on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the April Joy Ford I shared a quick five to seven minute video on there on the video. Uh, A lot of you guys know my background about my story. And I gave a baby up for adoption when I was 16. So here we are 20 plus years later and we get connected randomly at the Phoenix International Airport. So again, uh, don't do it now. (laughs) Wait till after the show and you guys will see the real time video uh, during the airport. So going back to our show for today, we are going to be talking about think less and feel more, verbally promiscuous yet emotionally impotent, what a provocative title we've got. You don't have to suffer from a severe brain injury to gain helpful insights with this episode. With modern society, technology has enabled people to become verbally promiscuous yet leaving them emotionally 
impotent. So we're going to talk about the physical and psychological benefits to the body and the brain of interacting face-to-face rather than through electronic communication. So my guest today, TEDx speaker Claire Balfour, actually she'll be speaking again on TEDx about human connection and how technology is becoming an influential factor to loneliness and depression. Claire specializes in adult speech and um, language therapy, NLP, as well as an adult educator and trainer who has lived and worked, wow, pretty much globally here, Scotland, England, and New Zealand. And she works with people who have severe brain injuries and trauma. And I love her motto, change your language, change your feelings, change your life aims to redefine life stories and build new narratives. Welcome to the You're Not Alone show. Claire, how are you? Thank you very much. That sounded very grand. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's you. (laughs) That's you. Uh, Yeah, no, thanks very much. And uh, hello, LA. I feel very excited that I'm I'm here in cold, dark Edinburgh at midnight and I'm talking to LA. (laughs) Oh, hello to all of our Scotland fans. (laughs) So tell us, Claire, let's just jump in. Um, what type of clients do you generally work with? Um, well, the, the, the people that I, I tend to work with are folks that have had severe brain damage. So my patients are people that have had car accidents or brain tumors or brain bleeds, um, uh, hypoxic brain damage from maybe getting gassed or something like that. And then the, the clients that I work with that are not brain damaged are people who want more confidence in their communication. So maybe want to go for a promotion at work but are too nervous because they'll have to do some public speaking. Um, so it's not so much about getting their speech clearer, it's more about getting their confidence. And uh, I think that confidence really comes a lot of the time from childhood, not feeling heard. So it's sort of working mm-hmm. on that to build up people's self-esteem really. Well, tell us how how does this really relate? I mean, obviously, the the science and the medical reasons of when, like you said, in one instance, if somebody incurs a car accident and you suffer a severe physical damage to your brain, but how have you been able to work with those physical damages in our communication? How is that related to our emotions and our communication? Well, there's... There's been a lot of work that's been done on the brain over the past 20 years and, you know, it used to be quite defined of, you know, the left-hand side of your brain did this, the right-hand side did that and there are, there are still the very distinct areas but they're now finding that there's a lot of communication between both sides of the brain and what we find is if somebody has got damage on the left-hand side of the brain, they, they don't find words anymore. Words are either gone or they're mixed up or they pick the wrong word and if somebody has damage to the right-hand hand side of the brain, they can't pick up on things like facial expression, tone of voice, gesture, that all adds sort of nuances and feeling and a real intention behind communication. And some of my patients have damage on both sides. Um, and then there's the connection between the brain and the body because the brain obviously is attached to the spinal cord and the spinal cord goes down through the back and all the nerves go out to every part of the body and then your body and your brain are communicating all the time. So what's coming out of your mouth is sending messages around your body at the same time. Mm-hmm. So sometimes mm-hmm. I work on just the words. Sometimes I work on the emotions. Sometimes I work on sort of how someone expresses their feelings. And then sometimes all of it at once. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And what does this process look like with your, your clients when they come to you with such severe um, damages? 
It's slow. It's slow because a lot of them have uh, severe memory problems as well as a result of the brain damage. Um, a lot of them have a lot of fatigue um, because of the brain damage as well. Um, so trying to get them tuned into the therapy, it, it's a very, very long, very slow, very, very repetitive practice. Yeah. So when I work with people as private clients who are not brain damaged, who want the confidence of the communication, it's a completely different approach because, you know, the whole brain's intact and you're just working on on the emotional level rather than the language level. Mm -hmm. Now, we use the example of, you know, something physical like um, being involved in a car accident, but what about um, somebody who has gone through trauma such as emotional or environmental trauma? Does the brain still... Effect, is it affected the same way? Uh, yeah, it's funny. I was having this conversation tonight about what happens in uh, childhood stress and how that affects people as an adult, as a communicator. And I actually just bought a book at the weekend written by a neuroscientist that looks at that and how when someone suffers uh, trauma in childhood, mm-hmm. the changes that it makes to the brain and then how that affects people's physical and mental health. And you know, there's been studies that's looked at when women are pregnant and if they're stressed and have a high level of adrenaline, how that impacts on the baby's brain development and then how that makes them communicate and function and behave as, a, as an adult. So there's, there's all the dynamics. And I, you know, you, I can't really tease out all of it when I'm in a therapy session. I just sort of have to work with what's in front of me. But we have a lot of people who are drug, drug addicts who have taken overdoses. Um, some people that have accidents like they maybe vomit and then they block off oxygen to their brain. Uh, I've had a few people that have had chemical accidents at work. Um, uh, I've had some people that have been shot in the brain, you know, in, in the line of duty. So, yeah, there's a big mix. And depending on how many parts of the brain are damaged depends on how much function you're going to regain for a person, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, for me, I've been able to experience on having a brain map. I had my EEG done, and you can see the you know the sectors in the part of your brain and when it's in a state of activity or non-activity, how it's functioning and how efficient it is and what parts of your brain are being um, activated. So I had the opportunity to get um, that done. Wow. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, you know, they're, they're predicting there's about 100 billion neurons in your brain and about 100 million neurons in your gut and then 40,000 neurons in your heart. So, you know, we used to just think with our brain. I mean, there's a difference between thinking and then there's mind and what is mind. But our brain and our gut communicate all the time through something that's called the enteric nervous system. So there's that sort of feeling of, you know, when you get a gut feeling, but you can't cognize it, you can't put it into words. But there's something that you think is just a bit dodgy, but you can't explain it. But your, mm-hmm. your body's giving you the feedback. You know, your stomach's going, your heart's beating. Um, so, and then that sends messages to the brain. And that's probably, that sends messages more to the primitive part of the brain, which is in the middle. So that's the limbic system. And that's mm-hmm. the older part of the brain. And that's the emotional guiding center of the brain rather than the higher cognitive processing part of the brain which is the gray matter that most people think about when they think of a brain yeah (laughs) Yeah. now what do you think is it with the aspects of communication do you think people find it difficult just day to day Ah, well, you know, this is something that is that is genuinely concerning me and my colleagues. I'm doing a master's 
at one of the universities in Glasgow on um, what happens to the right-hand side of the brain when it's damaged and how that affects people's ability to social problem solve. And uh, I was talking to the professors there, and you know they're saying that in their research they're finding that kids are struggling to communicate because they're spending so much time behind a computer. And they're, they're finding that with teenagers and young adults, their communication is quite blunt and they're finding they're less tolerant and they're a bit more abrasive and they're more egocentric, more than a usual teenager. Um, because social skills are learned like anything else. Like, you know, you, you speak with an American accent because... You grew up in America. If you'd been mm-hmm. born to the same parents but grew up in Scotland, you'd be lucky enough to have a Scottish accent instead. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we learn language and we learn accent by our surroundings, and it's the same with social skills. We learn it through our surroundings. So the way we do that is a face-to-face. We pick up if somebody's feeling hurt by something we've said by you know, a facial expression or a hand gesture or mm-hmm. we get the feedback that somebody's approving because of a head nod. When people are behind a computer... They not, just have emojis. <laughs> yeah, they get emojis and they're not... But it's all the subtle nuances that they're just... They're missing. They're not picking up. So the mm-hmm. brain isn't actually being trained on how to develop these skills. And some of the profs that I spoke to said that They've got some really intelligent graduates who've got PhDs, but they can't get jobs because when they go to an interview, they're so socially stunted that they just keep getting rejected. Wow. Wow. Okay. So when we come back from our break, I want to talk about, um, you know, what's happening with um, society's communication, because I know you're going to be talking about that on your upcoming TED Mm. Talk on how, you know, electronic communication is really affecting us as a generation, as you brought up, um, how it affects the development of kids um, as well. So more after these messages. Stay tuned. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Have you experienced trauma or challenges in your life and are wondering what to do next? Get the clarity and direction you need to create the life you've always wanted. Awaken the courage and energy within you to discover who you're truly meant to be. Download the free ebook, You Are Not Alone, and get the survival guide to life's challenges at myjoyagain.com or text the keyword JOY to 38470. Create your blueprint to rise above life's challenges and discover the power inside you. Start smiling again, enjoying life, and feel empowered at myjoyagain.com. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned into You Are Not Alone. To reach April Joy Ford or her guest on today's program, you may call into 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send April an email, her email address is Ford at joysofyah.com. Now, back to You Are Not Alone, How to Rise Above Life's Challenges. 
Welcome back. And my guest this week is Claire Balfour. She is a TEDx speaker. Actually, she'll be speaking on TEDx uh, very soon. And she's going to be talking about the human connection and how technology is becoming an influential factor to loneliness and depression. So in this segment, Claire, tell us, what do you think is really happening to people's communication, you know, now that we have all the advancement in technology and electronic communication? I think it's, I mean, I've had this conversation with some of the younger people at the university and they're obviously exponents of uh, modern communication. They say it's great because I can talk to people all across the world and I have friends across the world and I say, well, it depends on what your definition of a friend is. There's somebody you can talk to online, but to me a friend is someone that I could see in person and if I had an issue, would come round and talk to me and, you know, Mm -hmm. would see things face to face and... You know, you talked about, you know, the brain scan earlier on. And when when we talk face-to-face with somebody, different parts of our brain light up that don't light up when we're communicating online. So if we're just accessing the left hemisphere where words live, then that whole right hemisphere where all the emotions live and the limbic system isn't getting stimulated and it isn't getting generated. And that limbic system is what generates the feeling down inside our body as well. So people are um, not developing as much emotion for other people. They're kind of, in a way, getting a condition called alexithymia, which is what psychiatrists use to describe people who either don't understand their own emotions or somebody else's. So when people come to show and share real emotion, they've not actually learned how to do it. And, And what researchers are finding is that this is what's increasing loneliness, because people have lost the art of face-to-face conversation and they can only say things online. And the, the danger of that is is that they might say things online that they wouldn't say face-to-face as well. Because right. they're not getting that feedback that what they said was maybe inappropriate. Yeah. So then the, the feed, so what they say might be inappropriate, so then people say, right, I'm, I'm cutting you out of my online social group and then mm. c- continuing to manifest the loneliness. Wow. Well, and I like how you touched on the point that it's how our bodies are naturally wired. Like you said, the brain isn't getting stimulated to create those feelings and emotions. So basically, it's just we're just creating uh, desensitized people with all this technology. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know there's been some studies that have said, oh, you know, it's a great way to connect people who are lonely and isolated. And I, you know, I could see the argument in that. I mean, there's there's a lot of Especially in, I don't know about American culture, but in Scottish culture, old people are very much now, they try to keep them at home as long as possible. And people, you know, people have moved away, families have moved around the world. So it's a way for old people to keep connected, maybe via Skype with with loved ones. But what I'm finding with my own peer group is that people are not making the effort to go out anymore because they live their life on, on Facebook, really. So right. rather than, and, and the old days, I mean, the, the, the small town that I came from in Scotland used to have lots of nightclubs and all the nightclubs have closed down because nobody goes out anymore to meet. They sit at home and they're on Tinder. Do you know what Tinder is? So no, it's, what is that? It's a dating app for the phone. Oh, okay. So it's a kind of random hookup thing. So people, <laughs> people don't. 
don't go out and they don't, you know, go to pubs and chat and dance and all the clubs have all closed down because people are just online dating and all my friends, they just communicate via Facebook. Nobody mm. comes round anymore. Or, I think it's made people a bit lazy. Yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. when this is increased in the loneliness because people say, do you know, I never see anybody anymore. So I, my my personal view is, is that there is a, there is a, a, a good way to connect to people who are isolated because maybe they have a disability or they live rurally, but right, at the same right. time, I, I think it's it's taken away people's drive to make the effort to go out and engage face to face. Right, right. And there's a difference between, like you said, face to face or human connection versus, hey, just sent you a text or you're on social media. Because I know three days ago when I came back from my travel and I I was traveling and I had that emotional miracle experience and it's one thing when I you know I called my mom and I called other people or sent people a text message or the video but it was different when I landed home and actually got a hug from my friend that picked me up from the airport because she knew what happened what just happened and that was just so um uh genuine and sincere when she gave me a hug and that's it. I mean, it's the, it's the human connection, really. I mean, it's not even mm-hmm. about um, the touch. I mean, I remember um, reading someplace once. I mean, I don't have any validation for this research, but it said uh, we need six hugs a day to be psychologically healthy. Now, Scottish people as a whole, we are not a touchy nation. We don't do physical contact. And I thought, well, if you need six hugs a day to be you know, psychologically well, that might explain why Scots are all a bit mental. Because <laughs> we do it, but we're a culture that like stop. Because I lived in New Zealand for a long time, and they're very acquiescent as a culture. They smile mm-hmm. and they nod, and they smile and they nod, but they don't say how they feel. And um, they've got a very high rate of suicide. Oh, and wow. even though it's it's a wonderful place and it's it's a healthy, magnificent country with smiley, happy people. But they really don't discuss how they feel. And I think that suppression of emotion, and my, this is my theory, is that's probably why it leads to a lot of the, the suicide. Now, in Scotland, people may be not very touchy, but they do actually share how they feel. So you, you could spend an hour with a Scottish person and you know their whole life story. You could spend five years with a Kiwi and still know nothing about them. Mm-hmm. So well, I, I think, think I know, did see something online. I can't quote the study or research it was, but they said... Um, if you hug somebody for like 20 seconds, it releases hormones yeah. within each of your bodies, like the happy hormone. I mean, yeah. it's, I don't know who hugs for 20 seconds all the time. But. Italians. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, my, my friend's mother was a, a massage therapist for people who were palliative, so people who were dying. And, um, you know, she read the research that looked at, you know, even though people were in pain, just having that human touch relieved a lot of the psychological pain because in our brain there's an area called the periaqueductal grey and it's in the brainstem, top of the brainstem and it's where we register physical pain and emotional pain. Mm. Now that part of the brain cannot tell the difference. So whether um, we're upset because we watched a sad movie or we're upset because we've stubbed our toe, the brain can't differentiate between it. So what you find if somebody has their emotional pain relieved, it helps relieve physical pain. And lots and lots and lots of studies have found that when people are ill, <clears throat> excuse me, if they've got good social support, their perception of their pain is less and their recovery is, is faster as well. Wow. 
Okay. So we touched on, you know, some key examples that you brought up, you know, some of the risk that people in society, if they only rely on electronic communication, you touched on, you know, the loneliness, the isolation, depression, and the form of just having that social skill of being able to communicate with another human being. But do you think people are um, maybe hiding behind the screens because of some false identity that they're creating? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there's... Uh, I mean, a friend of mine who's uh, a counsellor, she talks about an imposter syndrome where mm-hmm. people feel like they've got to be able to do all these things and they've got many layers of a facade. And especially when they have things like Facebook, they sort of pretend that life's all brilliant. Yeah. When, when yeah. in fact, it's not... Um, and and I, and I know people that will say things online, and when I meet them in person, they're very quiet. But online, <laughs> they're they're very vocal. So they're kind of they're yeah. thinking a lot, but they're not really emoting because they're not getting that feedback. So I think I think people vent because they've not learned how to appropriately express emotions in a way that's going to be receptive to a listener. And I, and I do think people get a chance to create a facade, which is why online dating is so disappointing for so many people. <laughs> well, I've heard stories. I haven't experienced it myself, but I've heard stories where people would put uh, somebody else's picture on there, oh. and when they actually meet in person, they're disappointed. <laughs> well, this, this TED Talk that I'm doing next month in Glasgow, it's all about technology. So um, I was talking about how there's so many wonderful communication aids that help patients like mine who've maybe got locked-in syndrome and can't communicate at all. And um, I was saying about how there's loneliness robots and the guys had never heard of loneliness robots because obviously they're in their 20s, so they're out socialising. And there's one in Japan called Pepper and it's a tiny little robot that gives you a hug if you're feeling sad. And there's one in Japan and it looks like a, a giant cushion and it moves like a slug. And I thought, what oh. has gone so wrong in our society that people need to buy a very expensive cushion that looks like a slug because they're lonely? Wow. You know, something, mm-hmm. something's gone wrong someplace. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's lots of community centers all around Scotland that when I was younger were packed and now they just lie empty. You know, no, mm. nobody goes out anymore, you know. It's, so, and then because nobody goes out and they don't interact, I find a lot of people have lost their confidence. And when I've spoken to younger men, so that kind of mm, early to late, mid-20s, they find it difficult to interact with people. And they almost come across as if they've got Asperger's. Mm. You know, Asperger's syndrome where people are, you know, intelligent, but they don't have the social... People skills. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they don't actually have Asperger's. It's just that these tend to be guys who've spent a lot of their time online gaming and behind a computer screen. So they've just not learned the art of, of interpersonal communication and okay. very socially stunted. Well, I'm thinking of um, what would you recommend for parents that have kids? Like for my kids, I try to monitor their, their time where they're on electronics and developing healthy habits. Like if we're eating as a family, there's no electronics on the table. And they they hold me accountable too for eating out at a restaurant and I happen to pull out my phone. If I hear it hear a text message come in, they'll remind me as well. You know, hey, no electronics at the table. But what can you recommend um, for kids since 
you know, their brains are still developing and yes. we're training them to develop um, healthy um, habits. Oh, and that's it. I mean, they, I mean they've, they've known this for years. Even before electronics, they said if, if kids don't get good social integration skills when they're young, it causes them problems when they're older. Either um, it could lead to... Uh, you know, being on the wrong side of the law, just put it that way, because they've not mm-hmm. learned how to behave appropriately, or they become quite lonely. Um, and then now with technology, so I would say get kids involved in clubs. So if they like sports, do sports or drama clubs. I mean, I, I you know a lot of kids hate drama, but I think it's a great way for them to learn how to expression interact. Mm-hmm. So even if they want to be behind the scenes and do props or something, but. To be around those people and learn they can't have their own way all the time. This is what we're finding with the younger kids that are coming through university now. They're, um, they very much expect everything now and they expect everything their own way. Mm-hmm. Because when okay. they're online, and this is another thing that they found, when somebody has an emotional reaction to something, their amygdala, which is deep down inside the limbic system, fires off an anger response. And then there's a, a message that goes straight to the frontal lobes to say, I'm angry, I'm going to take some action. The message that comes back from the frontal lobes back to the amygdala to say, whoa, 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 calm down, just chill out, have a wee think about this, is a lot slower. Now, if I'm face-to-face with somebody at work and I'm annoyed, I want to say something, but I don't. I go away, I make myself a cup of coffee, I come back, I go for a walk, and either say nothing or my response, has been dampened somewhat and it's a bit more sort of political. But when Mm -hmm. people are online, there's no need for that censorship and there's no need to slow themselves down. So they fire off a response and then that's why people get into trouble. And I I don't know what it's like in the States, but here celebrities are always having to apologize for their tweets they've sent out. Mm-hmm. So in a moment of anger or a moment of impulsiveness to just go on, text, 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 and then the publicist has to put out a reply. So I think as right. well, there's this sort of immediacy that's sort of not enabling people to learn, you know, when it's right to say something and when to hold off. Right. And I think it roots back to that whole identity thing because you don't feel accountable or responsible yeah. for your actions or your words of, oh, I could just say whatever. I'll just hit return yeah. and or send and... Yeah. You know, I'm de- kind of detached in a way from the outcome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially when people have been drinking as well. I don't go anywhere near Facebook when I've been drinking because I know I'll wake up the next morning and be something <laughs> that you think is funny at the time. And I mean, this is another yeah. thing. It's like, you know, um, you know, when I was younger and you went to the pub, what happened that night stayed in that night and those people, but now it could be immediately broadcast yeah. around the world. And I've even heard stories of students here in Scotland getting kicked off their university courses because mm-hmm. of things they've said online mm-hmm. when they've been drunk. Mm-hmm. Right. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of consequences. And I think, I think it, the, the media is still so new that the younger generation aren't seeing the consequences yet. All right, we're going to um, go to our break right now. And when we come back, we're going to talk on the other side. You know, what are some of the benefits when we do interact face to face? And what are some recommendations to increase our face our FaceTime? It's funny how the app on our phone is even called FaceTime. Yeah. <laughs> so more when we come back after these messages. Okay. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. 
Do you help those in trauma? Use the four steps in the Breakthrough the Barriers program. This trauma-informed care training will equip you with the four major effects of trauma. Mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual. Learn how to get replenished, recharged, and rebalanced for your own self-care to be able to continue to help others in your care. Text the keyword TRAUMA to 38470. This could also help you qualify for your CEUs. That's keyword TRAUMA to 38470. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com tuned into you are not alone to reach april joy ford or her guest on today's program you may call into 1-888-346-9141 again that's 1-888-346-9141 if you'd rather send april an email her email address is april j ford at joys now back to you are not alone how to rise above life's challenges Welcome back. We've been talking to our guest this week, Claire Balfour, calling in all the way from, is it Scotland? Are you in Scotland again? In Scotland. Yeah, so just before the break, she um, wanted to make us aware of the risk for people in society if we only communicate um, electronically. And she mentioned isolation, loneliness, depression, um, social and communication skills. And also, it's very important for our kids because their brains are still um, being developed as well as their personal habits are still being formed so when we are not communicating face to face and just relying on on electronic and technology our brain really isn't being stimulated by our emotions and and feelings and it causes a desensitized society so claire share with us um what are some ideas that you think that are for our well-being as far as benefits if we do interact face to face I just think we get that emotional connection. I mean, it's the, the, the brain and the body get stimulated. We've got billions of neurons and all these nerves and sensors that nature has given us for a reason, and, it, and it's to bond. And the way that I describe it, it's like um, being a communication chameleon. The real reason that, communica- uh, that chameleons change colour is to bond. Most people think it's to hide in the camouflage so they don't get eaten, but that's one reason. But it's to signal to another chameleon that they're like each other because, you know, we're all, we're all social beings at the end of the day. So it's important for us to be able to connect with somebody. And we all get those feelings when we think, yeah, I can connect to this person, or there's somebody else who thinks, nah, not really my type of person. And we can't really put it into words, but there's just that underlying thing. So that's important. I think to, to keep the world going round, I mean... You know, business, love, friendship, laughter, good health. That's why I need it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you brought up an example earlier on in, in the segment of um, just having that important life skill. If, you know, somebody went in for an interview, you may be technically competent in your resume, looks great mm-hmm. on paper with a degree. But when it came to face-to-face interaction, uh, just was the complete opposite happened. <laughs> Yeah, and we're finding it with our new graduates as well. They're very, they're very blunt and they're very direct. And I think it's because when they're online, they they get to be blunt and direct because they're not getting the feedback. And there's, um, you know, there, there can be consequences for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so to to be socially accepted, I mean, I, you know, I'm not wanting everybody to be like androids, but you know, 
that's one of the ways that people fit in is by being a social chameleon. They're still being true to yourself. I don't want people to be fake or to be liars, but it's an innate social skill to kind of be a bit malleable to the situation by modifying our communication so we can fit in with the environment at the time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we talked about, you know, people put up the false identity of hiding behind the screen. But also, in a way, I think it's uh, maybe easier. Like you said, maybe sometimes people are just lazy. They don't want to go out, but they just want to connect with friends online. And sometimes it is. It provides a level of comfort to connect online. I know when I did my live video just today, I mean, I'm going to give you guys a real example um, sharing my 20-year miracle on, on Facebook when I just before the live camera came on my phone, I was like literally shaking and a little bit um, nervous and scared. And I'm used to, you know, talking here on the radio to thousands of people across the world or face to face in a room, in an audience. But having that screen in front of me kind of eased some of that anxiety. So there's the thing as well. I mean, this is something that was deeply emotive for you. So it wasn't just like, you know, you're used to talking to guests, but this is something mm-hmm. deeply personal. And that is what connects us with other people because people would have seen that authenticity. You know, mm-hmm. you, I mean, this is why people get caught out with online scams or from personal experience, online dating is very disappointing because when you're behind the computer you can say anything and and you have time to practice what you want to say but if someone's got that genuine emotion it comes through and they talk about leaking of emotions Um, there's some great TED talks online I think it's one called Pamela Myers Myers, and she is a profiler for the FBI and she talks about the tiny little things that leak someone's Mm -hmm. true behaviours Mm-hmm. And so the little eye twitch or the slight snarl of the lip or the slight twitch of the fingers that show someone's true feelings and true intentions. So when you were online talking about this amazing thing that happened at the airport, I'm sure people would connect even more with that because they got to see, the, not just hear your words, but see the whole emotion mm-hmm. that, was, that was leaking. Right, right. And I think it would have been more overwhelming for me if I was standing in front of an audience because mm-hmm. I'm I'm a feeler myself. I can feel emotions. And if I'm trying to feel other people's emotions and try to deal with mine, it would have been um, overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why when they're putting um, adverts on the television for donations for charities, uh, that's why they show the images because people connect more with the human suffering. And, you know, they, they see the... The, the person that has the, the problem and then here's how your money will help and then I'll look at them now six months later, they're much better. The, just the words alone probably wouldn't generate the, the donations. It's because people can see it and when they see it, that's when they feel something. You know, they don't just think, oh, that, you know, that village in Africa needs a new well. They see the poor children that are thirsty mm-hmm. and in pain and that, that creates a, a feeling inside. And that's what, yeah. that's what generates the connection. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what would you recommend to people to increase their FaceTime? Uh, go outside. <laughs> go outside, yeah. With go your outside. Phone? People spend so much time in, in, indoors these days. I mean, I, you know, there, there, is, there is benefits, obviously. You know, I, I hear a lot of older people who talk about family that have emigrated, so they get to Skype. Um, you know, I, I can stay connected with people that I knew in, in New Zealand. But, 
you know, nobody even phones anymore. So when I phone people, I either get two responses, what's wrong? Because people only phone nowadays <laughs> when there's something wrong. Or they go, I knew it was you. You're the only person that ever phones that me. That calls, yeah. Yeah. And they're like, why do you phone? I'm like, it's wrong. Because, like, I'm a human and so are you. And I'd like to connect. So um, I, I try to arrange to see people as much as possible. But I do think people have just got a little bit too comfortable with staying at home behind the computer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, is there anything maybe in the workplace that we can encourage more FaceTime because we're all busy in, in busy work environments? Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, we have the problems like I'm sure a lot of people do where we're in two people sit next to each other in offices and email each other and yeah, yeah. miscommunicate the email. So, I don't know, shared lunches. Um, you know, we've got, we started a thing on a Friday where somebody bakes a cake every Friday. So mm-hmm. then everyone gets together on a Friday and has a, a chatter about stuff. Yeah, and I can say I've, I've witnessed that when I used to work in the corporate world, uh, we had the internal instant messaging and people would just instant messenger even though they were across literally the hall. Like you peek yeah. your head out of the cubicle and like, couldn't you just yell over the cubicle? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's difficult as well. I mean, like back, back in the day, people used to always go, in Scotland anyway, to the pub after work, but now... You know, people don't drink drive or they live out of district or they've got kids. So the kind of social aspect has diminished and it's kind of hard to make the time in work. But, you know, studies have shown that if you take more time out to create that sort of connection with your peers, then it actually boosts workplace productivity. Yeah, I completely, completely agree with that. And what would you recommend maybe in the home life? Like, um, for me, I shared what we do in my household as far as limiting the electronic time or no electronics at the table. Would you have any other recommendations that are practical for I mean, home? from a speech therapist point of view, I mean, I would say two things. One, read to the kids. Um, a, lot of, a lot of parents nowadays use the television as a babysitter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hopefully I don't want to offend any of the parents listening. I know people are really busy, especially if they're single parents. Um, but children don't learn. Uh, they might learn language from a television, but they don't learn the sort of like the social language from television in the same way. Read to children and play games. So board games or colouring in. And then just have that conversation the sort of like, how was your day? What did you do? Um, yeah, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. Actually, uh, once a week um, with my my two kids, we do a family game night where it's um, doing something, whether it's playing a board game or if it is electronics, like playing the Wii, it's still, you know, interactive or physical, yeah. but it's just our our bonding time. Yeah. Yeah, I know like my friend's kids when they were younger, I used to go around and we used to go outside and play games and now they want me to sit in one room where they're in another room and play some board game and I'm like, no. No. You, you come and you come and sit and you and you look in my eyes and you talk to me. And yeah. something else I found is that people are finding eye contact particularly challenging these days as well. Yeah, just not used to it. Mm-hmm. So before we go on break, um, one last question: If people are nervous about mm-hmm. communicating, like you said, maybe the first thing you do is you go outside or talk with your coworkers instead of sending them an email. What if they're j- just nervous and they don't have those social or life skills? What what can they start to do? Interesting. What could they start to do? I'd say when we try and find something where they could be on the periphery of it and not completely involved. I've done things where I've joined 
social groups where I could be an observer. So, like, I do improvise comedy. But when I do that, I'm in the group. You're not allowed to sit out. You have to take part. But I've also um, joined, like, say, the Professional Speaking Association. And I think it's called the NSA in America. Mm -hmm. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I I sat there and didn't say anything for the longest time. But I was just in amongst the group of people who were speakers who were interested in the same thing I was interested in. And, uh, you know, it was a while before I... I actually got up and spoke and took part and asked to be involved in the committee. So maybe do that. Go to some place where you can be a passive observer, but you're still actually in a group of people. Obviously, in a subject that you like. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure if you're a bit nervous about communicating with people in any group, there's going to be somebody who likes to talk um, and who likes to be the centre of attention. So just let them do that. You just <laughs> start with that. Yeah. And you don't have to be, you know, a, a speaker in training, um, you know, to do this. I would just recommend maybe a simple smile. Start with a simple smile and say hello to the cashier at your grocery store. I mean, they're happy to receive uh, a hello or what's your name or acknowledge them by your name and not really getting into your whole life story. But, you know, start with that. Start with a smile or start with something simple. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, where I live, there's a, a canal, and I quite often go for a walk, and you know, you see the same dog walkers every, usually every morning. So it's that sort of just saying hello, you know, and the sort of, I, I don't know what it's like in the states, but in Scotland, you know, you wouldn't if you made direct eye contact with a stranger, that would be perceived as aggressive. So it's sort of a kind of glance and then look away and say hello and a little smile, mm-hmm. and then it kind of builds up over the weeks to right. oh yeah, and right. have a wee chat about the dog and all that kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. So let's go ahead and take our last commercial break and more tips when we come back to increase your confidence in communicating uh, with groups. Okay. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Have you experienced trauma or challenges in your life and are wondering what to do next? Get the clarity and direction you need to create the life you've always wanted. Awaken the courage and energy within you to discover who you're truly meant to be. Download the free ebook, You Are Not Alone, and get the survival guide to life's challenges at myjoyagain.com or text the keyword JOY to 38470. Create your blueprint to rise above life's challenges and discover the power inside you. Start smiling again, enjoying life, and feel empowered at myjoyagain.com. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are tuned into You Are Not Alone. To reach April Joy Ford or her guest on today's program, you may call into 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send April an email, her email address is Ford at joysofyah.com. Now, back to You Are Not Alone. How to Rise Above Life's Challenges. Welcome back to our last uh, segment here with our topic, Think Less and Feel More. So, Claire, tell our audience, you know, what can we do to increase just our overall confidence in communication? 
I think like anything in life, the more you practice it, the better you get and the more comfortable you get at it. I mean, I think it's finding a, a thing that you're interested in. And that's one of the beauties about the internet is that you can search and see what's going on in your area. Like, a friend of mine was quite shy, but she was interested in gourmet cooking, so she went along to gourmet cooking classes. So she didn't have to talk too much to people, but, you know, she was around people. Um, I've got a work colleague who likes... Um, which called upcycling old furniture. So she's mm-hmm. going to do a DIY course. Um, oh, okay. So things like that. Um, and I, I would say just, I don't know, my friend swears by getting a dog because she said if you get a dog, all other dog walkers talk to you. <laughs> um, so it just, it's just practice. I mean, there's there's meetup groups, um, which I think was started by a guy in New York after 9-11. Mm-hmm. And it was for people to connect that had similar interests. And that's global. So, I mean, I, I'm a member of a few meetup groups in Edinburgh, and they, there are a wide range of activities. So, find something that you like and just go along. And the same thing, there's always going to be somebody in the group that likes to talk. So, if the person's not keen on <laughs> engaging or starting or keep my conversation going, there'll always be somebody that's doing that for them. So, just practice. Yeah. It's like anything else. It's like practice. You just have to sometimes put yourself out of your comfort zone and do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So share with us, I'm curious to know some of the success stories or transformational cases with the clients that you've worked with, because like I said, you've worked with such severe Mm. um, injuries, you know, brain trauma and physical brain injuries. What are some some of the stories that stand out to you? Um, I actually had a guy, funny, last night on YouTube, I was, I, I saw a patient of mine that I had 16 years ago in Edinburgh, and not in Edinburgh, and then in New Zealand, and he got married, and I remember he said to me 15 years ago, will I ever talk again, and I said no, and um, he, he called me something that <laughs> I can't repeat on radio, and he uses an eye gaze chart, which is what I used with him, he points to letters to spell, and mm-hmm. he's still using the same chart that I gave him 15 years ago, but he's got married. Wow. So he he was determined to prove me wrong. And he Mm -hmm. still doesn't talk, but it doesn't matter because it's given him the motivation to get on with his life. Um, I had a couple of patients who had brain injury and I worked on their life Well, talking is just one way, right? Like he may not be able to verbally talk and express his emotions and feelings, but he found a way to communicate. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, so he didn't get... He wasn't keen to use it initially because he said, I will talk, and if I'm not speaking, then I won't be using anything. So eventually he's obviously coming to, to using it because now he's married, so that's good. Um, yeah. I yeah, had a couple of reasons who I, I helped them do their life story. So their thinking was quite chaotic after their brain injury. So we did a lot of work on kind of helping... I felt like I was sort of like a librarian for their brain, really, helping to categorize and order all their thoughts and put it into a format that was palatable to a listener's ear because it was quite sort of long-winded and all over the place. And they said, and I got them to go to a couple of brain injury events and present their story. And they said it was uh, very much like an emotional release. Wow. Um, I like that you said you're more like a librarian of the brain to find the right words to express because when you're going through such a traumatic event, it's almost like you've got to defrag your brain. Yes, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and then just helping folk who maybe have got jargon dysphasia, and that's when all the words are all mixed up, so it sounds like a foreign language, and, you know, working on people just getting enough out that they could see the names of their children, and that's maybe mm-hmm. all they can see after months and months of therapy, but that's the most important thing to their life. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. What are some of the um, therapy methods that you use? I believe I had a previous guest one or two weeks ago, and she also had a near-death um, experience in a car accident and had to learn how to recover um, her social communication skills, et cetera, with her brain injury. She um, did NLP and hypnotherapy. What, mm-hmm. what methods do you um, favor? I had a neuroscientist ask me the same question at the weekend. Um, it depends on what part of the brain's damaged because um, different parts of the brain control different functions. So there's therapy deliberately targeted to those areas of deficit. Mm-hmm. And it would also be if somebody's got other issues. Like a lot of my patients have multiple issues, so they maybe can't use their hands, so they can't mm-hmm. write or point. They can't, they've got their blinds. They've got terrible memory problems, they've got terrible fatigue, they're in lots of pain. So we have to try and compensate for all of that within a therapy session, which is why it takes a lot, long time, and it's quite laborious for the patients. So um, we can use everything, really. We, we call it total communication. So uh, we've got one guy just now who could barely see anything, but he uses a huge amount of gesture, facial expression, and tone of voice. Okay. Um, some people use the eye, so they've got a chart and they just look with their eyes and they have to spell, mm-hmm. they have to be very patient because then you have to spell everything out for them. Right. Um, and then quite often they have spelling disorders after their brain damage, so they spell it wrong, so you get the word wrong and you have to go back to the beginning. So, mm-hmm. so multiple oh. different things. Some people use the electronic communication aids, if they can use that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what's, um, in closing here, what's on the horizon for you and how can our listeners find out more about your work? Um, uh, well, I'll be doing a, a TEDx again at Strathclyde University next month, and I'm supposed to be working with my friend Lindy and on people's, supporting people with confidence in their communication, so people who are non-brain damaged but want to be more, but as you said, you know, how do these people get out into the world and feel confident? I'm going to be working with Strathclyde University with their students who are from overseas to work on giving them confidence when English isn't the first language as well. Yeah. Nice, nice. Okay, and what about your website? My website, uh, www.communicatingconfidence.com. But unless your okay. listeners want to fly to Scotland or fly, <laughs> or fly me to wherever they are, that'd be lovely. Yeah, yeah that'd be grand. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I always tell my listeners out there in any of those regions you guys are listening to when I do travel um, abroad that I'm going to let you guys know so we can actually meet face to face and not just over the airwaves here. (laughs) I'd love to show you around Edinburgh. It's absolutely gorgeous. All righty, everybody. That concludes our episode this week. I'm April Joy Ford here on Voice America with You Are Not Alone. I share my story and the show so others can share their stories and have their glory so others don't have to experience the extremities of what I face but would be able to take the fruit of my adversities and prosper with it. And I give my permission to allow people to borrow my belief and faith and I give my love and light so others can illuminate theirs. I share my joys and blessings so others can share theirs and let others know you are not alone. We appreciate you joining us this week for You Are Not Alone. 
Each listener is a life, and each life matters. Please tune in for another edition with host April Joy Ford next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel.